A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with me today. A little under the weather, but uh, we're powering through, and we've got a fantastic conversation for you coming up here in just a matter of moments. Uh, Dr. James Eric Dietz with the Homeland Security Institute at Purdue University. You have uh, seen Dr. Dietz on this program before, known Dr. Dietz for several years. Um, He's been doing some fantastic research on ways to reduce casualties and active shooting attacks, uh, specifically on uh, school campuses. But uh, that research has now expanded over the years to include things like uh, armed responses in church, um, he's done work on magazine capacity, the life-saving uh, uh, attributes of large-capacity magazines. Um, and Dr. Deeds joins us on the program today to talk about some of that latest research, particularly in terms of uh, church security and school security. And I think you're really going to find what he has to say absolutely fascinating. Take a look and a listen. Dr. Deeds, it's good to see you again. Thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Good to see you, Cam. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I feel bad we haven't had you on uh, more recently, but there is a lot to talk about. Uh, it seems like you and your team, students at uh, the Homeland Security Institute, very, very busy these days uh, in a lot of areas that I think are going to be pretty uh, interesting to to our audience. Um, and I want to start with, you know, we just saw this shooting at Lakewood Church in, in Houston, a shooting that thankfully was stopped very quickly because of off-duty law enforcement that was there on scene. Um, but you've been working, it sounds like, with one of the local churches there. They, they were interested in reaching out and, and finding, okay, well, how do we, what is the best way for us to have an armed response, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we, we basically worked with a small rural church, you know, uh, one like, you know, a great number around the country that's small congregation, not a lot, big budget, can't really order, uh, you know, higher um, security guards. And they asked us to come up and work with them. And we actually ended up working with the sheriff's office as well to come up with some best practices and some recommendations that they might be able to use. Um, Those were published recently in a paper uh, in the Journal of Emergency Management to try to help share those ideas, you know, more broadly around the country with churches that might be having some of the same concerns. You know, I I understand uh, it was a PhD student who actually kind of helped spearhead this project, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, he did a great job. Uh, he, you know, basically, we, you know, we came up with a couple basic conclusions, you know, things like that um, the protection, you know, uh, individuals probably ought to sit by themselves. They ought to have sort of more strategic positions around the congregation to protect, not be distracted with their own families. Um, when they're doing training, they need to train with law enforcement. So, you know, when the law enforcement goes to the pistol range to, to qualify, these folks need to go and do the same qualification tables equal to any other uh, sworn officer in the county. Um, and of course, background checks and uh, other things ought to, uh, ought to be done as appropriate. So those are a couple of the, 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 the concepts that we came up with, um, you know, some ongoing training and, and those kinds of things um, that we felt were awfully important based upon best practices and things that, um, frankly, we've seen in the news here is, um, you know, protecting other churches around the country. That's right. Yeah. And of course, the corollary to that is, you know, you've got some states that are trying to make it impossible uh, for these small rural churches, those uh, synagogues, those worship centers that can't afford to hire armed security um, to deprive them of their ability to have armed congregants. Uh, and, and based on your research, and, and I, 
uh, correct me if, if you haven't done any research to this uh, uh, in this area, but uh, I know your past research has shown that, for instance, having a school resource officer, as well as a percentage of school staff who are armed, uh, is the fastest way to stop an active assailant attack in a school. It stands to reason that that would be the same for churches too, right? If you if you don't have that dedicated security team, having somebody there um, who does have the ability to fight back is the fastest way to stop an attack and save lives. Absolutely. In the case of the schools, what we're able to show is about 70% of the casualties could be avoided by the simple addition of our school resource officer who really... Uh, their function, if everything goes well and they respond properly and are trained well, can um, just respond much more quickly than the arrival of the police, which in too many communities around the country can be in excess of eight to 10 minutes. Um, the addition of a few um, individuals with concealed carry, and with the concealed carry, we had very conservative estimates. Uh, we looked at the concealed carries basically in the school situation. They protected their classroom, but they didn't necessarily act as surrogates for law enforcement. And that was a choice we made with the research and the modeling work that we were doing. And that was shown to be able to, even at, at five and 10% carry levels, um, in the, in the teacher population could reduce, the um, uh, the, um, victim rate by another five to 10, 15%, um, you know, depending on the carry level. You know, again, some of this sounds like common sense to me, um, but obviously this is, you know, a, a very politically charged subject. Um, and, you know, we've seen also, you know, in real life, uh, Dr. Deese, you know, Uvalde, where law enforcement waited over an hour uh, before they engaged the attacker, right? So, we know that, again, you mentioned the school resource officers, if they respond, we know that that's not always going to be the case. To me, it, it that that makes the argument that the more layers of security you have, the better, because one of those layers might very well fail. Um, and so if you have that backup option, if you and this is everything from physical security, making sure unauthorized uh, uh, you know guests can't get into the school um, to having that, you know, layered security response in terms of armed personnel. That those things are are not just beneficial, but they're necessary in order to have a a secure campus. Absolutely, and that's what we were able to find when we added in things like door locks, um, other protection layers, and and uh, you know um, technology that could be added to the classroom uh, and added to the schools. Uh, each of those are additive. Uh, anything that consumes the shooter's time after the event starts actually gives us, um, you know, much more hope that the police show up with their, um, you know, initial response and it's adequate to, to put down whatever shooting has happened and minimize casualties. I mean, frankly, I don't think we can drive them to zero, but we ought to be trying awfully hard to drive them that as low as they possibly can without upsetting um, the, the freedoms and expectations we have in the country for, for freedoms. Frankly, this research, we started it looking at how do we try to communicate to the 70 or 80% of the population in the middle that listen to the pro-gun or the anti-gun sides and can't really try to figure out how to make, um, make some better informed decisions uh, with the, the banter that goes on. And that the, what we are able to do is come up with a, a computer modeling process that allow us to get some insight on these policy decisions that sometimes are not 
informed by science or or facts, but uh, you know informed by uh, emotions. And so what we're really trying to do is pull emotions out of this and have more fact-based decisions that are made uh, with public policy and feel like we would be much better off in the country where we could try to make that transition. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely with you, 100%. Um, so, so what is some of the most recent research that you've been doing in this space? Because you and I have talked before about that modeling regarding SROs and, and uh, armed school staffers, uh, but that's been several years uh, since that research came out. So, so what, what's the latest that you've been working on at the Homeland Security Institute? But the, the latest we looked at what we call white space was, um, you know, what is the safety factors in the schools? Um, the 99.9% of plus of the time that does not have an active shooter, but may have firearms in the school. And that was specifically to address concerns that, you know, some offered that said, oh my gosh, I don't want my kids to go to school where there's a gun, you know, in the school. And it would be, um, it, you know, it wouldn't be correct to say that there aren't accidents, even for law enforcement, and there aren't things that go wrong. Um, and so we looked at typical accident rates and were able to uh, do a mixed time frame kind of model of the schools and show that um, the active shooter response enhancements that we've talked about already of 70% fewer casualties are maybe compared to, you know, 20 to one, the casualty rate to the accident rate. So the accident rate is very, very low. Um, basically, we think it's less than, or, you know, much greater than 20 to one. Um, but uh, with, with looking at some of the accident rates and the mixed time frame that we've got, you know, we might never have an active shooter in some schools and we might have an accident um, because the firearms are there every day. So that accident rate, I think, is important to suggest to many that say, my gosh, the school's unsafe because there's a weapon there um, that we would actually counter that saying the active shooter event is actually much more costly in terms of injuries and, and victims and one that is probably a worthwhile decision for the policymakers to make, again, depending on your location. If you're in rural parts of the country, probably much more you could do make that decision with much more confidence, very urban areas that might have a higher police density and therefore a, a much shorter police response time in most cases might might be less so. Um, that's frankly where I think our research has had the best value is communities could use the models that we've developed. We've actually made them so they're exportable so people can put in their own response times, their own values and see how the outcomes may change for their particular school. And I, I think that's important to concede that there are pockets of the country that have stricter laws and some places that have much more liberal laws. I mean, I my high school, for instance, uh, there were kids that drove trucks with shotguns in the window and parked them in the school parking lot, which is um, certainly not something we expect to see anywhere, um, you know, at least most places today. Yeah, even in uh, rural Virginia where I live, that has sort of fallen by the wayside. The uh, the students know, all right, you, you leave your gun at home before you go to school if you're going to do some early morning hunting. Um, but, you know, we've also seen, and, and I find this particularly troubling, in Colorado, they've had armed school staff in place for a number of years. There are hundreds of educators and dozens of districts that are actively protecting kids. Lawmakers this year are trying to repeal that law and make it impossible for these districts to do this. And again, as you talk about, many of these are rural districts, right? They don't have the funding for a dedicated school resource officer in every campus building. Um, and the size of these counties, it it could take even, you know, in broad daylight when the departments are, are staffed uh, higher than what they would be during the overnight hours. 
you're looking at 20, 30, sometimes 45 minute response time. If you get a deputy on the other end of the county who has to drive pell-mell to a school where somebody's shooting. Um, hey, does your research, has any of your research suggested that an armed school staff program, uh, at least as you have uh, defined it in your parameters, um, makes a school district a, a more dangerous place for students or staff? No, that's specific, specifically what we're trying to do by looking at this white space. It does not make it more dangerous by arming the staff. It actually um, pro provides a benefit. If there's a shooting, there are fewer casualties and the, and the uh, violent situation is resolved much more quickly. And we think that's you know, the evidence that we've been able to show, we think uh, really clearly shows that that's the best answer. Um, we've seen, I've seen some schools that have taken our research as well as some of the school shield um, training information, as well as some of the Brady Foundation training and trying to meld that together. Um, and again, there was a rural system in Indiana that chose not to go with the school resource officer, but they trained staff, they put in biometric safes, in the school with firearms, ammunition, and um, and other safety gear in there, uh, and train the staff and and teachers, a number of them, to be able to secure those weapons and help protect the students before um, the police were able to get there. Uh, again, it's a choice that I think that sadly we have to make um, for some of the rural schools that may have these threats, but. Uh, it sure seems like it's the right answer and makes it, it, it makes sense to any of us with military law enforcement or a lot of shooting experience, having somebody with a firearm nearby that can start protecting um, the, the group um, just seems to make sense. Uh, we see that time and time again with the antidotes, the specific antidotes that we see um, in the media. Uh, but we also see that, and I can show that with thousands of repetitions, thousands of active shooter events that thankfully we don't have, but we can reset the conditions, slightly modify the conditions and look that at you know the evidence over thousands of events using mo computer models. Um, we're commonly calling these digital twins. We try to model, you know, build a twin of our environment, you know, whether it's a school or a public building. And um, we we try to show um scientifically that the school is safer because of having those armed people there. Have you done any um, modeling in terms of best practices for how those firearms on campus are stored? You mentioned, for example, you know, biometric safe. Some districts um, have those guns locked up. You can access them, uh, access them in case of an emergency. Um, some districts you might have teachers, you know, walking around with a concealed firearm on their person. Have you done any investigation or any research into what works best in terms of being able to access a farm in the case of an active shooter on campus? Yeah, we we, we sure did. Uh, we looked both at magazine capacity as well as carry condition and security condition. And in all cases, any of the um, obstacles to the security, uh, um, you know, the, the concealed carry condition, much better to just have a, um, a ready to fire weapon in a concealed carry situation in terms of saving casualties. Uh, if they're secured in any way, um, depending on how they're secured, you know, ammo, guns in separate locations, that kind of thing, um, you know, it just adds to the time for response and adds to the uncertainty that the friendly person with a gun, the protector is going to be able to secure the gun in time to make a difference. 
you know, and, and obviously you're doing a lot of work with a computer model. And as you say, you can sort of, you know, design these events and replicate thousands of, of incidents. But I, I'm sure that you're also hearing and, and looking for, you know, anecdotes as well, right? What happens in the real world? One of the arguments we hear all the time is that, uh, gosh, you know, these teachers are so stressed out. Uh, kids uh, in school are are uh, so crazy these days that, uh, boy, it's a bad idea to have a, a teacher who's armed because what happens if they just snap uh, and pull a gun on a student who, who is not posing a threat? I'm curious, have you ever run across an incident like that involving a, a teacher who is lawfully armed or a school staffer who is lawfully armed on campus threatening or targeting a student? We, I, I have not seen that antidote um, except for the uh, the New York City uh, college administrator that threatened somebody with a machete in the hallway. So, you know, it's like certainly I haven't seen any of that with anybody that's gone to the trouble of getting background checks, getting a concealed carry permit and doing those things. Um, it's not to say they aren't out there, but I'm not aware of a single instance that that's happened. Um, for the most part, those people that go to all this extra trouble um, to, to show that they're worthy, safe, and, um, and are doing the right things are not making mistakes and are actually adding to the security of the environment. Um, interestingly enough, the magazine capacity that, again, many of us would, um, you know, that, that our active shooters understand that, you know, magazine capacity is actually firepower, and that's actually... Um, a positive thing in a, in a gunfight, and we we had computer models that we were looking at two armed intruders in a home, and showed that doubling the, or going from a seven round mag to a thirty round mag doubled the survivability of the homeowner in that particular case. So, um, you know, we were um, uh, I at least you know felt reassured that that matched maybe my experience or my thought um, that you know. Um, you know, increasing the magazine capacity was probably going to, again, help save lives. It makes sense, you know, instead of reloading more rapidly, we've got more time to shoot. We've got, um, you know, more more rounds that we can actually engage a threat with. Um, so, you know, it, it, it makes sense, but, but also we have the scientific underpinnings to prove why um, why that outcome is the way it is. More, more, more rounds downrange in a shorter period of time are positive in a gunfight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know the the uh, the counter argument to that that we've heard from uh, some courts and some uh, gun controlled states like California is that well, the the average defensive gun use, uh, you know, I think it's less than three rounds are fired, two point eight two rounds or something like that. So why does anybody need, uh, you know, more than ten rounds? And the answer, of course, is that uh, you don't know that you're going to be the average victim of a home invasion or a violent crime, right? You, you can't guarantee that it's going to be a fair fight one-on-one. -on -one. No matter how much training we do, you, you can't guarantee that that first shot is going to be perfectly aimed and just right where you want it. And um, that, you know, we really would rather just, you know, make the intruders drop their guns and run. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, if they're determined to come at us, we need to be ready to defend ourselves. Absolutely. So, so what is, um, is there any other research that you're working on right now that you want to highlight uh, for the next time we have you back on the program? Well, I, I, I'd like to go into more of the, the church safety program. I think there's a number of folks out in the country that would, would find that very valuable. And also the um, other thing that we've done that I think is kind of interesting is we're looking at 
uh, adding to the go bags of the teachers to add um, stop the bleed kits, um, you know, with within the teachers and trying to look at the allocation of stop the bleed kits. Um, the I had uh, recently a master's student who's all actually also a local law enforcement officer who recently graduated from Purdue, stayed nearby so he could work on his master's degree while he was also beginning his career as a as a local police officer. He actually looked at those stop the bleed kits and uh, have, he has some insights on on those where basically um, more stop the bleed kits and more aware um, you know uh, public members that know how to use those can save a large number of lives as well. So a lot of our work is trying to drive down the number of casualties and save lives as much as we possibly can. Um, you know, given that we might have some of these firearm threats to to all of us in, in the community. You know, and, and that may be something that, uh, look, not every teacher is a concealed carry holder. Um, I, I anecdotally, I have talked with folks with like Faster Colorado. They said that uh, it's rare for them to have a district that wants to have an armed school staff who can't find the staffers. Right. But in many cases, in most cases, it's they've got too many volunteers um, and they've got to figure out, okay, who, who do we train up right now? But this is another area where, listen, if there are teachers out there, educators or staffers who aren't comfortable carrying a firearm, um, maybe they could carry that go back, right? Maybe they could at least serve as a, a first responder in terms of uh, preventing the loss of life uh, through medical care, uh, through things like just applying a tourniquet. Uh, if they're not comfortable carrying a gun to actively uh, defend the students and staff in their care. I, I would love to continue this conversation, um, particularly with the uh, the the, the uh, recommendations for churches. Um, is there any way that we could get you and perhaps the uh, the PhD student who was working on this back on the show in the near future? Absolutely. We'd love to join you again. Okay. Well, let's plan on doing that uh, maybe in the next week or two. We'll, we'll figure out a time that works for you all scheduled. But uh, you're right. This is very much a, a topic of conversation that I know is hugely important for a lot of our audience and, frankly, Americans uh, in general. Uh, Dr. James Eric Dietz with the Homeland Security Institute at Purdue University. Thank you, as always, for your time. Thank you for your research. And I look forward to continuing the conversation in the very near future. Thanks a lot, Cam. Thanks for letting me join you today. Well, thanks to Dr. Deese for joining us on the program. I want lawmakers in Colorado to hear what Dr. Deese has to say, what his research says about the efficacy of having armed school staff as they are trying to yank that away from these rural districts. Hopefully that will uh, come to pass here. Who knows? Maybe one of those anti-gun lawmakers will be exposed to this interview, if nothing else. Uh, right now, let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will start there with a case out of Charlotte, North Carolina where the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department has caught their top juvenile repeat offender stealing a car for the sixth time. Sixth time, and I don't think this kid is even old enough to drive yet. 15 years old. No. Yeah, it was last Thursday when they uh, pulled him over while he was uh, stealing a car. Police say that he was arrested 13 times last year. Think about that for a second. Most of us will go our entire lives without ever being placed in handcuffs. This 15-year-old was in custody more than once a month in 2023. And for five of those times, he was arrested for stealing a car. In uh, this case, Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department says they caught him in a stolen 2019 Hyundai that he broke into using instructions that he found on TikTok. 
He uh, broke the car's window, took the car from a parking lot. But he spotted the car later that day, tried to stop it. The suspect then uh, jumped from the car, ran from police into the woods. He was caught uh, around 10 o'clock last Thursday evening, according to the uh, local police. Now charged with larceny of a motor vehicle, possession of a stolen motor vehicle, resisting, delaying, obstructing, as well as three counts of attempted larceny of a motor vehicle. And based on his previous criminal history, I'm guessing he'll be back out on the streets before long, and it'll only be a matter of weeks before Charlotte-Mecklenburg Mecklenburg Police Department have him in custody once more, because that is all too often what's happening to juvenile offenders. is a catch-and-release system. No matter how many times you catch them, they're quickly released, returned to their parents, very, very rare is it that there are actually consequences for these crimes. And uh, that appears to be the case for the prolific car thief there in Charlotte, North Carolina. Today's Armed Citizen story from Palm Beach, Florida, where a, a road rage incident led to a self-defense shooting, according to authorities. And again, this is one of those cases where, you know, and I will admit, um, having moved to rural Virginia, where I don't have to worry about traffic uh, unless I get stuck behind, you know, an Amish carriage. It, it, when I get into, you know, Richmond or when I drive up to D.C., I hate traffic in a way that I did not uh, when I was living in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. It just it, it is it's so aggravating. And I have found myself getting sometimes enraged um, when a few years ago I wouldn't. But I tell myself. Calm down. This is only temporary. Ten minutes from now, you're not even going to remember that this happened. Just move on. I wish that more people had that attitude. Unfortunately, not everybody does, which is why when I'm in my car, at least in a state that recognizes my right to carry, I also have my firearm with me just in case some other uh, jackass doesn't have that same peace of mind and patience that I possess. And that appears to be the case in uh, Palm Beach, Florida. Happened uh, last Thursday afternoon about 3.15. According to an arrest report, 37-year-old man was driving down the road. He had two kids in the car with him, ages 9 and 10. He was waiting on a car, two vehicles in front of him, to parallel park. So everybody's kind of stopped, right? Um, He ended up honking his horn, kind of like, hurry up, come on. The person in the uh, Honda sedan that was directly in front of him was also waiting on that car to parallel park. Um, the driver of that Honda turns around and flips the guy, the bird. So the Hyundai driver told police that he grew impatient, goes around as he's pulling up beside the silver Honda. He rolls down his window and he says, I wasn't honking at you. Meaning I'm honking at this guy. He's taking forever to parallel park. That however, is when the man says he saw the driver of the Honda, a 29 year old, I reached down and pull out a silver and black handgun, pointing the gun at the driver of the Hyundai. He was, again, got two kids in the back seat. Hyundai driver told police that he feared for his life as well as the lives of his children, so he reached into his center console and drew his own pistol. The Honda drove away. The 37-year-old Hyundai driver followed. He's on the phone with police. And uh, what he did not apparently tell police initially uh, is that there was a bullet hole in the silver Honda where the man in the Hyundai had shot out the Honda driver's side front vent window. Uh, the driver of the Honda would later told police everything happened so fast he didn't know if maybe he had fired the gun. But when police arrived uh, to where both cars were located, they found the silver Honda 
with the uh, man in the driver's seat, 26-year-old woman sitting next to him. Man gave permission for police to search his car. They found a 9mm handgun. Gun was not loaded, but there was a magazine on the floor of the uh, Honda. Woman told police that the uh, driver has, quote, anger management issues, and that when the 37-year-old man in the Hyundai honked at him, both she and the driver ended up flipping them the bird. Uh, She also confirmed that when the uh, driver of the Hyundai pulled up alongside the Honda, that her friend pulled his gun, pointed it towards the other car. She told officers that they drove away when the front vent window suddenly shattered. The uh, two kids who were interviewed told police that they were scared when the guy pointed the gun at their car. One of the children says he thought the man fired his gun at them because he saw a shell casing fly across his face. Now, after talking to all the witnesses and all the uh, involved parties here, investigators determined that the 37-year-old Hyundai driver acted in self-defense when he shot towards the Honda because he, quote, believed his life and the lives of his children were in danger when the uh, driver of the Honda pointed his gun at him. Uh, That driver, charged with three counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, currently, uh, well, at last report, as of Friday morning, being held at the Palm Beach County Jail on a $150,000 bond, the uh, dad, acting in defense of himself and his two kids, not facing any charges. We'll keep our eyes open for any more details on that uh, self-defense case out of Florida. Meanwhile, today's good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a uh, gentleman in Rochester, New York, who over the weekend helped a family get themselves to safety as well as their uh, pets. This is the uh, good Samaritan in question, Peter Abe. says he was just doing what any other person would do for him. He said, I saw fire. So I actually went to go see if they needed help in the fire truck, and I got there at the same time. Uh, Abe said he jumped out of his truck and uh, ran over uh, as the firefighters were uh, arriving. He said they were trying to get their vehicles out of the garage so they wouldn't catch on fire. He said, so I actually was able to get both their vehicles out of the garage for them. Um, The assistant fire chief in uh, Gates, New York, Timothy Gould, said the fire department arrived at the house within four minutes of getting the first 911 call. He said they had the fire under control after about an hour. Uh, they said they did call a second alarm assignment just for the additional manpower and the cold temperatures. Gould said that a woman was one of the five adults who made it out of the home, but was later taken to a hospital with life-threatening injuries after she ran back inside the burning residence to try to rescue an animal. Abe says, well, I was talking to somebody. Three dogs were able to get out of the house, but the cat uh, unfortunately never made it. Uh, Abe dismissing uh, the description of himself as a hero. He says the uh, true heroes, the firefighters who work to put out the blaze. But he does have a message for anybody, he says, who finds himself in a similar situation. He says, what I would say to them is, if you want, basically to help somebody. In the long run, somebody might help you. Well, again, in the right place, at the right time, willing able to do the right thing to help a family get to safety. Peter Abe, there in the uh, Rochester, New York area, we thank you for your very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you, as always, for being a part of the program. Make sure you check out BearingArms.com throughout the day. We're keeping you up to date on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Defensive gun uses, litigation, good and bad. We've got the uh, Supreme Court hearing and Garland versus Cargo coming up on Wednesday, dealing with the ATF's ban on bump stocks. We're covering that. Constitutional carry on the move in Louisiana. And so much more. Again, all waiting for you there at BarionArms.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow with another edition of Barion Arms, Cam and Company. But in the meantime, be well, be safe, and be free. <laughs>